We're going to do things a little differently today than usual. So Andrew Broy, who I think most everyone in this room knows, uh, is, I'll just run you through it. He's going to come up here and, and, um, and, and eventually introduce Mackie, who's going to tell us, give us a big picture uh, of the program and, and then have a chat with, uh, with the two of them and two charter school uh, leaders who you'll, you'll all know. And, and I'll let them introduce each of those folks along the way for a, a proper introduction. Um, so to start us off, I, th- I believe you probably all know an, an advocate, uh, uh, he's a lawyer, he a, a started out as a teacher and a big supporter of the City Club, so what else do you really need to say? That, that pretty much encaps- encapsulates everything, uh, so please welcome um, the President of the Illinois Network of Charter Schools, welcome to City Club, Andrew Broy. <laughs> Good afternoon. afternoon. What a crowd today. Educators in force. Great to see you all. Welcome to the City Club. Uh, I'm very excited today to be able to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is public schooling in Chicago and policy, and try to find a way to think through how we can make more great schools for students all across our city. I want to first start off by thanking the City Club, Dan Ivey, Jackson Ivey, and their leadership for putting on this event, but more importantly for being a place where civic leaders can come together to discuss pressing issues. We need more of that in our city today, more of that in our country, to talk across lines of difference, think about how to serve the next generation, and the City Club does that. I hope today we can contribute to that in just a little bit. All right, to start off today, we'll do something a little bit different. We're having a pop quiz. now. I had an eighth grade math teacher named Mr. Newton, great name for a math teacher I know, who loved the pop quiz. About once a week he'd say, all right students, books away, get a sheet of paper out, time for a pop quiz. So today we are all taking a pop quiz. Here's how it's going to work. I will issue a series of statements. If you agree with the statement, raise your hand. If you disagree, keep your hand down. Agree? Don't agree. Here's a warm-up question for you before the main questions, all right? The 1996 Chicago Bulls are the greatest basketball team in NBA history. Agree or disagree? Looks like a vast majority. I see some Golden State Warriors or Celtics fans in the back. Let's take their dessert away maybe later. All right, on to the real questions now. First... Education question. Charter schools are public schools. Agree or disagree? Almost unanimous, that's correct. Charter schools are public schools. What does that mean? They're governed by a charter granted by a local school district or a state board and have to adhere to the contents of that charter. All right, second question. Charter schools must accept any student who applies to the school. Agree? A little bit mixed there. The answer is that's true as well, yes. Charter schools are fully open enrollment. What does that mean? It means that any student who applies, regardless of previous test score aptitude, has to be enrolled. If there are more applications and seats available, there must be a random lottery that gives each student an equal chance to be admitted to the school. Just for a sense of context, about two-thirds of charter schools in Chicago and our membership are oversubscribed, meaning they have more applications and seats and therefore have a wait list. All right, third question, the final question. Charter schools can charge tuition. 
can. Yes, they can charge tuition, yes or no. Everybody got that right, just like any other public school, charter schools cannot charge tuition. All right, if you got all three answers right, raise your hand. Look at that education crowd showing up at the city club. All right, give yourselves a round of applause. So I mentioned charters are fully public, open to all, and cannot charge tuition. Uh, when we do surveys on this, there is mixed understanding of that, so we always use our opportunities in public forums to make sure we go through that. I'm given the task now, before I introduce our key speaker of the day, Mackie Raymond, of saying a few words about the Illinois Charter School Marketplace and what the movement looks like today. Here's a snapshot of our movement in Illinois. We have 62,000 students statewide, 137 charter school campuses. The vast majority of those are in Chicago, 122 in Chicago. But we also have schools in regional cities like Elgin, who's here today, Rockford, East St. Louis, Peoria, Decatur. We're essentially an urban phenomenon in Illinois, and we've served students for the past 25 years across the state. 96% of enrolled charter students are black or Latino, and geographically we're located in generally challenged areas. I'll show you a map next to demonstrate that. Here's a map of Chicago. The shading represents poverty rates by census tract. So the darker the shading, the higher the poverty rates. The range of census tract poverty rates is between 3.3% and 56.4%. You can't see that on the slide. And where are charter schools located? heavily on the west and south sides of our city, places like East and West Garfield Park, Austin, North Lawndale, Englewood, places of that sort. Um, we've had that concentration since the movement began in earnest about 22 years ago. All right, on to the Credo Report. So you might be asking yourself, why is this report so significant? So Dr. Mackey Raymond, who will join us in a few minutes and spend much more time on this than I will introduction, We'll talk to you about three reports she has done over the course of the past 15 years measuring how charter school students perform compared to peer-matched students in traditional public schools. That's the focus of the study, and she's had different findings in each of those three studies. It includes individual network performance, so two of our biggest networks in Chicago, Noble and Learn, are here today to talk about their experience with the charter expansion. And it's a very robust study in that 81% of tested public school students in the United States was included in the data set. That's highly unusual. Almost all education studies are city-based, state-based, but this is a national study in scope and tests 81% of the students across the country. Uh, what makes it so powerful is it has high credibility. Mackey, I would say, is the Michael Jordan of charter research. She's been doing this for 20 years and knows it better than anybody. When I have a tough question, I call her sometimes. And this is the third in a series of reports, 2009, 2013, and 2023. The scope was broad, 31 states, including almost all significant chartering states. The effect sizes in the findings she'll des describe in a second as measured by additional days of learning are, are novel in a way, and the methodology is bulletproof. Five-year study, longitudinal data, student-level data, not school-based data, the focus on gr academic growth rather than mere proficiency. As we know, proficiency correlates with SES status pretty highly, so growth is a really important metric to look at, and it controls for relevant demographic characteristics, including incoming test scores. 
So it controls for all those relevant factors and then demonstrates how charters are performing across the country. So with that, it's my pleasure to welcome to the stage Dr. Mackie Raymond, who is the preeminent charter researcher in the country, to share a few words for us. And let's give her some thanks for coming from California to Chicago in December. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I am delighted to be here. Uh, I remembered when I was walking in the building that I've actually been to the City Club before once. I don't remember the food being as good, though, so this was delightful. And it's, of course, wonderful to see so many people from schools that are bent head down trying to improve outcomes for kids. That is music to our hearts uh, at Credo, and I'm really happy to spend our time today telling you about the results that we found for Illinois when we did these three national studies. So I'm going to first give you the national picture of what the full pooled study revealed. I think it has some really important implications for the work that you all do and a way of appreciating what you do. And then I'll drill down back into the Illinois results, if that's all right with you. Yeah? Hands up, yes? All right. Pop quiz. I love it. Okay. So I want to share with you first what our lifetime research insights are. And what you're looking at here is the three separate national studies that we did over the last, it's actually 18 years. Uh, And what you'll see is that in the three different time periods, the 2009 study, the 2013 study, and the 2023 study, we get very different results. You might imagine that my team was not very popular in 2009 when the results came out that in both reading and math, charter school students did not learn as much as their traditional public school counterparts. And I am not exaggerating when I say I got sent to Siberia for an entire year. People would not talk to me. They were so pissed. Uh, There was partial redemption in 2013. Um, At that point, we both expanded the number of states that participated um, and used a more contemporary window of data. And so those results showed that in reading, we had about six extra days of learning per year per student on average in reading. And our results in math across those states were that they were about par with students in traditional public schools. Well, you might say, okay, that's that's a good progress, But the real deal couldn't happen until the third study. And why is that? Because from from the two points between 2009 and 2013, it could have gone any way, right? We could have seen it come right back down. It could have been a shed shape. So we had an extraordinarily challenging time getting permission to do the 2023 study. It took me five years to negotiate with some of our state partners to give us permission to use their student-level data. I think you can imagine instantly what the political exposure was there, and people were very uncomfortable with the idea that we might actually come out with some positive news. Um, It really is a testament to my team that... When we do this work, we literally put on the white lab coats, and while we always want good results whenever we're looking at things that affect children, when the numbers come out, if the numbers aren't good, we will throw you under the bus. Luckily, that wasn't required this time, 
And what you see in the 2023 study nationally is that in both reading and math, students in charter schools gain additional days of learning in both reading and math. That's 16 additional days in reading and six additional days of learning. Now, this isn't a one-year progress measure, so you need to put this in a larger context that students in charter schools then compound these gains year after year after year. And it doesn't take too many years for the charter school student to be in a position where their learning is significantly advanced relative to what they might have gotten had they gone to their local traditional public schools. So with that, let's dive into what happens in the Illinois context. Um, Andrew already talked to you about the demography of the students who enroll in charter schools. But I want to put that in a larger context, that we get our matched students from the column that we call feeder schools. These are traditional public schools whose students move to the charter school. So we can see them actually making that transfer. That means that public school is the technical term is contested. Uh, it means it's a competitor to the charter school. Every charter school has its own collection of feeder schools, and we only draw our control matches from the feeder pool that each charter school has. That's pretty amazing that we get 80, over 80% matches from that. But look at the difference between the feeder demography and the charter school demography. So these are these are students who are coming from literally the school down the street or the school four blocks away. And yet, the demography between these two is dramatically different. Substantially um, lower percentages of white students, dramatically higher percentages of, of black students, and even relative to the higher proportion of Hispanic students that are in the feeder schools, we have about the same high proportion of Hispanic kids going to charter schools. Why is this important? Well, We talk about demography as though it is a symbol, a a proxy for low academic preparation. And in order for us to really be clear about that, we did something that we call the cream skimming study. We actually looked to see if students who were enrolling in charter schools had starting achievement that was better than, worse than, or about the same as the students in the schools that they left. Because as you can see here, they're demographically more challenged, but it also turns out that they are academically more challenged. And in many cases, particularly in Chicago, the population of students going into charter schools, particularly in the elementary range, are substantially below the achievement levels that their their CPS peers have. So there's no chance that charter schools are picking off the good students. The, the bottom line here is there's no cream skimming. There is a more challenged academic population. And so when we then are able to, to investigate the results that, that charter schools uh, create for their students, we know that there's no um, preferential treatment going on. And that's an important part of the finding. So let's take a look. Um, Illinois as a state did not participate in the 2009 study. Chicago public schools did. Uh, But here what you're looking at are the statewide results for the two most recent studies. And there was a lot to be happy about in 2013. Charter schools 
in Illinois did better in both reading and math. Uh, 14 days is about three weeks of extra schooling. Think about it that way. 22 is about an extra month of schooling. So these are substantial impacts on learning for kids. But then you roll the camera forward for another 10 years, and what you see here in the expansion of the number of schools and the number of campuses that have happened in this part of the world, that we actually get a much bigger, stronger impact on student learning in the most recent five-year period than we did in the five years before then. And so 40 days of learning equates to about two extra months of learning. That's during the school year. So in the exact same 180 days that a student normally goes to school, their learning trajectory is improved, it's increased, so that in that period of time, they learn as much as if they had gone to school for two extra months. That's a phenomenal finding. And then when we turn to math, our hair goes on end. Because math is the place where traditionally, across the country, charter schools don't get it done. So you folks are sitting on some kind of a gold mine. It might be the water. It might be something really good happening in schools. But the results that we see in Illinois are unlike what we see anyplace else. There is something here that you should celebrate. More to the point, you need to bottle it and sell it. We'll talk about that in a moment. Okay. Um, about 10 years ago, funders across the country doubled down on the idea of expanding successful charter schools into networks. And they really poured a lot of money either through the U.S. Department's CMO expansion grants or through funding through the Charter School Growth Fund and other funders really pushed the replication of successful school models into networks of schools. And what you're looking at here is what they got for that investment because two things happen at the same time. One, charter leaders are inspired to serve more students, and they're very serious about making sure that their next schools are as good as the ones they already operate. And two, the authorizing side of the equation here gets a little bit smarter, and they're only letting expansion happen when the flagship school or the small network is actually strong. When we did the study before, if you operated a charter school and you had a pulse, you could in many parts of the country just go ahead and expand. And what we saw in the data was you can only replicate the quality that you have. You don't make up quality as you go along. You can only get what you, you know, what you see is what you get. And so what you're seeing here in the Illinois data is that the charter management organization expansion was a good bet at that time. Uh, we get strong results there, um, which is not to say that the standalone charter schools are doing poorly, because obviously you can see they too, on average, are doing well. So we had an analysis where we tried to figure out what share of our charter schools were doing substantially, substantially better. <clears throat> and we came up with the term gap-busting schools. Um, I'm happy to tell you that there's more than two gap-busting 
schools uh, in CMOs in, in the Illinois context. Uh, we're featuring two today uh, on the panel. But what, what this represents are schools that, as Andrew and all of you know, don't discriminate at the front door, will take all comers, and yet are able to create learning in absolute terms, what kids know, that's above the state average. That is not a minor feat at all. And here's the gap-busting part. So they're, they're high-performing to begin with on achievement in addition to growth. In the growth department, you cannot be identified as a gap-busting school unless you have learning for your minority students that is equivalent to your white students or non-poverty student learning that's equivalent to your uh, non I'm sorry, poverty student learning that's equivalent to your non-poverty student learning. This is a phenomenal uh, accomplishment, and the real insight for us, the deep surprise for us, was we found thousands of schools across the country, charter schools, that were gap-busting for their kids. And in the CMO end of the business, so, so that's great. We, that's, a, that's an evidence proof. We now know it is absolutely possible to do this. And what the CMO gap-busting shows, and there are dozens and dozens of CMOs that can do this, is that you can do that at scale. So when you think about the... the embedded um, asset that that represents in the charter school community and how much we need that in the sort of post-COVID world, uh, I think that there's a lot to be said for trying to have a conversation about what you, how, how you can export that more broadly. And the same two uh, CMOs also had phenomenal uh, extra learning across their networks in mathematics as well. Uh, again, this is a math story that you just don't see in other places, so I'd love somebody to ask a question about how they do that so I can learn from that. All right, uh, we've already talked about the fact that it's a heavily minority and heavily poverty um, population. What you see here, the Native American population of a strong, ridiculously strong, is a very small handful of students, and so that's not, even though it's statistically significant, it's, it doesn't generalize well because there are not a lot of students. What does generalize well is the black and Hispanic results where you're getting 50, 50 and 42 days of extra learning per year for black and Hispanic students and 53 and 48 for uh, math instruction as well. These are, again, uh, hard-won results, and I, I want to take the moment to really thank all of you for the years and years and years that it takes to kind of create those, those results with kids. I want to go back to this slide for just a moment. You guys look at this and they say, oh, that's cool. Things are going upwards. We really dove into this, and there's a really important insight here that I want to share with you that's about schools. The new schools that come on each year, we look at them to find out whether they're coming in strong or not. They are coming in stronger in the, uh, between 2013 and 2023, they're coming in a little bit stronger than they were before, which is good. That means that authorizers are doing a better job of screening the applications and being tight about who they give charters to. 
But that doesn't drive the line. The line, the progress that you see here, is individual schools getting better a little bit at a time. That what you're seeing here is a continuous improvement mindset that actually results in additional changes every single year. We obviously, we control for the student demographic differences so that that's not part of the equation. What you're looking at is schools getting better. And they're getting better on their own. Remember that a charter gives you flexibility. Nobody is requiring this to happen. So this is actually sort of spontaneous behavior on the part of thousands of schools choosing to look at what's happening with their kids, choosing to zero in on places where um, they could do a better job, where students aren't getting the results that, that um, are, are desirable or that ensure them having positive futures. And so themselves creating the learning and continuous improvement environment among the adults that creates these incredible improvements over time. There is no place in any of the data that we've looked at since the 60s that we see this kind of a line, oops, this kind of a line of, of improved trajectory. And I would say the fact that it's happening in thousands of schools of, of a voluntary nature speaks to the fact that the charter framework actually sets up conditions that incentivize people to really focus in on student outcomes because that's what's going to be important when you, at the end of your term, when you show up with your authorizer, having, having good results in a lot of places, maybe not Chicago, but it could be, uh, is is a, an important function in terms of winning your second term or your third term. So I just wanted to say this is, this is a phenomenon. These data tell a story of a phenomenon that we do not see anywhere else in the country. And again, um, kudos to you for doing that. Ah, back to poverty. Here we go. Poverty and ELL are great. SPED, not so much. That is a typical finding that we have. Actually, our typical finding is that special education students learn less in charter schools than they do in district schools. This is a place where it's positive, but it's not statistically significant, so it's about the same. We can't give you credit for positive, but at least it's not negative and significant, so that's a good thing. All right, so in summary, you have a tougher population coming to charter schools. You've got teams of adults that are zeroed in on academic progress and identifying ways to improve that for kids. We see even uh, we see the vast majority of, of schools in Illinois trying hard to move forward every single year. They're not all making big progress, but we can see them trying. Uh, we do see that networks are a strong part of the charter uh, landscape here in Illinois, and particularly in Chicago. And we have admirable results for some of the most uh, challenged student populations in terms of their academic background. And this gives me incredible optimism that there is something fantastic going on in the charter schools in Chicago that is worth not only celebrating here today, but really thinking deeply about how this great news of practice and behavior can be taken on the road and let other, other schools and students in other schools enjoy the same kind of benefits. So with that, I'm going to stop and turn it back over to Andrew.
Thank you, Mackie. Let's call up to the stage CEOs of the Learn Charter School Network, Greg White, and the Noble Network of Schools, C.J. Constance Jones. So let's dive right in. I want to first ask a question for Greg and C.J. Greg, C.J., can you say a few words about your network, uh, where you're located, what your history is, number of students served, that sort of thing? Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Mackie, for that over, overview. It's good to see you all, and I appreciate you being here today. Um, my name is Constance Jones, CJ, and I'm the proud CEO of Noble Schools. And we proudly serve over 12,000 students across the city of Chicago in all neighborhoods, um, Auburn Gresham, um, North Lawndale, Belmont, Craig, and Hamosa. And we are unapologetic about our commitment to college and ensuring that our kids are ready um, for college. And that's not something that um, we've made up. Uh, we've surveyed and talked to thousands of our students and families, and we've asked them, like, what do you want from Noble? How can we work in service to you? And 98% of them have told us that um, them choosing Noble is um, based on our focus on college. It is either their top priority or a top three priority. So we are just really proud to work within the city of Chicago in service to our students and families, and so glad that we're part of this conversation today. Similar. Uh, Andrew, thank you very much. Professor, good to see you. <laughs> and to the City Club, thank you. Uh, like Constance, Learn believes in the necessity of a college education, particularly for low-income students. And we call ourselves a college prep elementary school because we're convinced that the academic foundation and ambition to earn a college degree begins in elementary school. We operate 11 schools and the most challenged communities across the state. Seven city of Chicago, two in North Chicago, one in Waukegan, and most recently we opened school in Washington, D.C. and Anacostia. We serve 4,200 low-income students, but we know and we've demonstrated that low-income does, can mean, high academic achievement. Our students graduate from the eighth grade, go to the very best selective college prep high schools across in the city of Chicago, state of Illinois, and across the country. Very proud of that. But what I'm most proud of is the fact that um, we accomplish this in a safe and nurturing environment. Come and visit our schools. It's a respectful place. It's high expectations family involvement. So I love the fact that you can be excellent and also have the right environment for students and staff. So let's go right to Mackie's question. So she had some slides up there showing that the math gains specifically were phenomenal in Chicago for Noble Learners specifically. Can you say a few words about how you've accomplished those gains and what you attribute it to? So when I saw this study and when I was looking at your slide, <coughs> there was an element um, of inspiration but also um, just a moment of pause for me because I know the hard work 
it has taken of our students and our families and our teachers and our staff members, so many folks um, in, in order to accomplish those types of results. And I stir in family in the camp of a few things. There's no like, you know, secret sauce, but um, it is certainly the people who we work with every single day who, when they come to Noble, they know that our focus is on ensuring that students have positive and equitable experiences that equip them with the tools to go to college, to graduate college, and to lead choice-filled lives. That has to permeate throughout every single thing that we do. And in fact, I just have to take a second to recognize we have so many noble people in here, whether you're a noble um, person, a staff member, or board member. Could you please just stand for just a second so we could, because those results are the result of the hard work of people in this room. It's the work of people in this room and people outside of this room, and we could not do it without them. You know, this pandemic has been hard. It has exacerbated so, so many of the gaps that already existed before the pandemic. And we've had to really get back to, like, and one of the things I love about this report is it highlights that there's evidence-based practices and things that we can do today to, to move our students along um, and to accelerate their learning. You know, in a week, we might have 1,750 minutes of instructional time with our students, and we have to focus on every single minute and making sure that those minutes are used wisely. We focus on having rigorous um, instruction um, and we and standards-based instruction. And so we have had to dedicate so many resources in order to not just get the results that you saw in this study, but also to continue the practices of accelerating the learning and the outcomes that you see um, in reading and math. And we've been able to um, see the impact of our work. This past spring, for example, our 10th and our 11th grade cohorts, their growth uh, was very similar to what we saw <coughs> pre-pandemic. But we are still not at the achievement levels that we need to see. So we have a lot of work to do, and we're really trying to pour all of our resources and intentional time and making sure our classrooms and our schools are clear, consistent, and connected. I mean, it's really taking an army of people um, who, who, who work to make that um, work happen and those results happen, but also um, to further the learning that we desperately need today. Hey, Greg. I agree with CJ. All right. <laughs> Our secret sauce is the same, right? Talent, talent, talent. Honestly, right? Our job is to recruit it, retain it. In fact, retention is more important than recruitment, correct? I'm sure uh, Dr. Jackson would agree, <laughs> right? Develop it, support it, and promote it. All right, so we're not in the education business, we're in the talent business, and we are obsessed with talent. We have an outstanding program called Grow Our Own. So we actually take existing staff members, first and foremost, how do we grow them? Give them opportunities. You have your associates, great, we'll pay for your bachelor's. You have your bachelor's, terrific, we'll pay if you get certified. Certified, hey, we'll pay for your endorsement. We're always investing in our people. An example, uh, I think uh, Diamond Perkins, one of my principals here today, she came as an instructional assistant at Learn. Uh, thank you, moved to a teacher. Instructional coach, AP, national principal. And I'm, you know, I'm sure, who knows? I can't predict where she'll, right? What's next, right? But we invest in our people, and not just people, but the right people who are here for the right reasons, who are deeply committed to the students we serve, right? 
They have high expectations for our students and their families. And guess what? They can handle adversity because it's hard. And we hire people who like it, who can endure and succeed. Let's shift, gears for, let's shift gears for a second. Um, Mackie, you've talked a bit about the so-called charter bargain, the idea that a school receives autonomy in their charter contract in exchange for a promise of accountability in terms of student performance results over time. Have you seen that be a driver of these results in your Quito report? Yes. In fact, um, <clears throat> I mentioned earlier that in every study we've done, we estimate whether or not the kids in a charter school are doing better than their twins were going to do at the school level. Like, what's the average school effect that we see in charter schools compared to the, the alternative those kids would have gotten? And when we first started out, the percentage of schools that were better than their local option was quite small. And it's grown over the three studies into a much higher proportion, over a third, now 36%. In some places, it's as high as 70% of the charter schools in some locations are better than the local option. At the other end, the schools that are doing worse than their local option, that part of the distribution has shrunk over time. Partly, it's schools getting better, but it's also schools that are not doing well are not sticking around. Authorizers are really getting serious about taking out, taking out teams of folks who are not dedicated to student learning. And so it's this combination of the passion and the focus and the drive that you're talking about with your human capital, but it's also the authorizers getting much more serious about the fact that they are the backstop on quality. And it does nobody any good for the authorizers to sort of waffle um, on, on schools that just demonstrate over and over and over again that they're not doing well. So these two things together in balance actually create an operating environment that I think is quite constructive. And it's what we think is part of the equation of why we see such good results. Thank you. Thank you. So last week here at the City Club, CPS CEO Pedro Martinez released new data showing the district graduation rate is at an all-time high of 84%. Since charter schools now serve 25% of CPS high school students, we're an important part of that story. CJ, can you talk about your work in focusing on graduation rates, college access, and college completion? Sure. It's important for people to know that we are Chicago. Noble is Chicago. We proudly serve 13% of the entire Chicago public school's high school population. And so... So when you see these incredible results, like $2 billion in scholarships for the class of 2023 of Chicago public schools, it's important to know how Noble plays into that. Although we make up only 13% of the CPS high school population, Noble students in the class of 2023 were able to acquire over $624 million in scholarships. Okay, That represents about 30% of all of the scholarships. All right, this is game-changing for the students that we serve, the students who reflect neighborhoods from all across the city and who come to us because of the promise of a college degree, because of the multi-generational change that it will create in their lives. The out-of-pocket expense for our class of 2023, for those who are going on to college, was $1,500, less than $1,500 a year. 
That is a game changer, okay? And so we're proud to be a part of Chicago Public Schools. We're proud um, that we have pretty firm data that confirms that 79% of that class of 2023 did go to college this fall, not just had plans, but did show up at their college campuses. 70% to four-year colleges and universities. That is huge. So, so we, we have to come together as a city. You know, we have to stop politicizing mm-hmm. education. Our kids need us more than ever before, okay? And so the way to support them is to focus on the things that truly matter and that are truly moving the needle for the black and brown kids that we serve in our city. That is something I'm unapologetic about and I will keep talking about until we all come together and do what's right, not just for noble kids in the city, but noble kids who are part of CPS and all of Chicago public schools, the black and brown kids who I know these folks in here are dedicated to serving. All right, get your questions ready. I've had one more question for the panelists, and then we'll take audience questions, so send them up our way. Last question to Greg and CJ in turn. What are you most excited about in your network going forward? Greg first. I would say three quick things. One, uh, Professor made a great point about the, um, the compounding effect of extra days of learning. I'm, su- I'm thrilled that learn students getting 71 extra days in math. But that's one year. Imagine for those in finance, what does that mean year after year after year, correct? Over nine years. We're pre-K through eighth grade. So I'm super excited about the exponential um, Exponential. forward, that gain they're going to make over time, right? So I'm just thrilled that... um, so what it means for their, for their future. I think, too, I've been doing this a long time, 23 years, and I, um, there's some students I met when they were pre-kindergarten, and guess what? They're out of college now. Even better, some actually work for Learn, all right? <laughs> Teaching math, hello. Right? Another student recent, uh, PhD in child psychology, right? So I'm excited because I see the results of the hard work. I know there's a solution that this works. So I'm super excited about watching first-generation college, low-income students attend and graduate from college. I guess the the last piece is I'm excited by the fact that um, we're not alone. I have 580 exceptional people, my colleagues, who give their very best every day for our students. Thank you, Greg. CJ. We, we have work to do. So we are excited about continuing the work to continuing to focus on college readiness for our students. Um, we'll graduate over 3,000 students in the class of 2024. Um, and we are, you know, just focus on the path ahead. The work has never been um, more important. It's never been harder, but we're doing everything we can to accelerate learning, to ensure the culture and climate in our schools is strong, Mm -hmm. to ensure we're doing everything we can to provide the social emotional learning and supports for our kids. Um, We need to just make sure that we're just doing everything we can for the students of Chicago. (coughs) 
I mean, so many people want to talk about the problems of our city. And I'm not trying to say some of those challenges don't exist, but we're doing nothing if we don't focus on the solutions and the things that are truly moving the needle within our city. And so I'm just excited to continue doing the work. Thank you. First question from the audience. We've got a question from Norris Liu at Zebra Health. How are you addressing the students' and teachers' mental health needs at your respective schools? It's a great question. I mean, the need has never been more important based on what we've seen in the last couple of years since the return to in-person learning. And so this is where I have to really give a shout out to many of the organizations that um, we lean on in partnerships within the community to help us provide the mental health supports. Um, We've seen a lot of um, our our kids come back and they're um, using drugs in ways that um, we have never seen before. And so we've partnered with a lot of organizations, whether it's a Gads Hill or Care Solace, um, to ensure that our students are able to receive the support we need. Um, but it's, it's never been more of a priority because of the great need that we, we've seen. And we really need more resources in order to support our students. Like, we just cannot get enough. And I agree. The, uh, the good news is Learn was doing this before COVID, right? It's part of our DNA. Yeah, these though zero tolerant charter schools, not learn. We've always been 99.9% tolerant. We're going to love you through your stuff. And philosophically disciplined is an opportunity to teach, not punish. We are, we love our students. But actually, strange enough, the last few years, actually, the need for staff has been greater than students. And so how do we now make sure they have all the resources they need to be successful? Good point. All right, question for Dr. Raymond first from CICS. What is the pushback on your report from a data perspective, and why do you think these results are not more widely embraced, and how can we change that? So what was the first part of the question? First part, what is the pushback on your report from a data perspective? From a data perspective. Um, That is a very pointy-headed question. Let me just say, uh, I'll try to do a non-pointy-headed answer. Um, The field of education research is divided between people who believe you can only learn things from random control trials and really, really precise estimates of very, very small conditions, and folks who think that the conditions in a, in a situation like charter schools doesn't actually lend itself to that in a good way, and therefore it's better to use the kinds of techniques that we use that actually give you a broader view and a longer view and a deeper view. So, interestingly, the folks who have actually gone after us come from two different camps. One who just hate the answer and they'll do anything they can to destroy anything about the study and they're attacking the matching methodology as though we've left a bunch of kids on the table somehow that we haven't actually considered. Uh, And then at the other end, there is a second set of of critiques that we get from the hyper-academic end of the business that we're not pristine enough in the technique that we use and that we are therefore not as confident about the, the impacts that we actually report out. We've done tests in both sides to try to figure out whether or not those critiques are valid, and obviously we're in a learning posture. We always want to know how to do our work better. We get the same answers as the hyper-precise folks when we can conduct the same studies that they do, and 
the, uh, the critique that they have made on the other side that somehow we're losing students on the table uh, happens in a very small number of special education classifications that would normally be very low incidence, and we don't see those in the study. So we've acknowledged that that's a weakness, but that is a very small proportion of the students that we're talking about over the long, long haul in charters. Right, Thanks. Thank you. Uh, next question from Tiffany Harrell. This is for the charter school leaders. How are you preparing students for changes to industry and the future workforce? Yeah, I mean, this is something I think about a lot because we do have the the privilege of serving high school students. Um, And so I'm really proud of some of the um, changes that we've made to our curriculum. So, for example, most recently, we made coding a part of our curriculum across our schools. And um, so we are always trying to figure out, like, how we can make thoughtful and intentional shifts um, to ensure that our students are set up for success. Um, We also have an alumni office. And so I didn't mention this earlier, but we serve over 26,000 Noble alumni now across the city. Many of them are in Chicago or have gone elsewhere. And so we've made sure that we've set up um, offices of support um, to ensure that as they are persisting through life, through college, um, and through careers of their choice, that they have opportunities to connect with uh, various um, options, um, but it's something that we are very much um, tuned into because the world is changing. I mean, we see the way it's changing with, like, you know, technology and AI, and so we're just always trying to keep a pulse and make sure that we're um, providing opportunities for our kids to engage when they're with us and then after they leave us as alumni. I love this question because the end game is employment, not just education, correct? And just quickly what we do. Uh, when you live, graduate learn, the relationship's not over. We have a robust summer internship program because our job is to connect you to employment. So all through high school and through college, come work for learn. Last year, we had 75 alum working for us. You give them your first job, and then we help you with your next job. One of our board members from True Search, he's hired both summer internships as well as full-time employment because if you're a low-income student, it's so hard getting your first job during and after college. I'd just like to add one point. Um, we have absolutely no idea what jobs will exist 20 years from now. And the idea that we're going to somehow plot an exact course to make sure that our graduates in, in our public schools are prepared for some set of jobs in the future is right. probably not the right approach. What I think is more important is that you create a robust education that is well-rounded, that teaches people all of the kinds of things that are showing up in the numbers that we see with you folks Mm -hmm. that give them a solid foundation, that give them flexibility and ability to think differently and be adaptive and be able to flex. And I think a place where I think the, the alumni work that I hear about from these folks is so important is they're teaching navigation skills. And navigating through conditions of uncertainty is a really important life skill that we can't take for granted. So the combination of a really robust elementary and secondary education that positions you to be highly flexible and adaptive and teaching navigation, I think, are the best things that we can do for students. I think we've got time for one more question, and we've got one about charter support for CJ and Greg. How can this room and people in this room support the many charter networks doing such great work? (laughs) You, please. (laughs) 
Well, fortunately, we have a lot of our supporters here, so congratulations to all. We have wonderful folks in this room who've been incredibly long-term committed and dedicated people. So thank all those who are here. I think it will be helpful on the political front to educate our political leaders at state level, the city level, the national level, about what a charter school is, the impact we're having, and the importance of let us do our work. Honestly, that's the request. Just let us do our work, uh, support us when you can, and please you know, don't block it. Um, let's see, I would say also um, help our students whenever you possibly can. I think in addition to what Greg said, we need people to have courage. Like, just have courage. You know, you know what's true. You see what's working. Oftentimes, we don't say the thing because we're scared that it's going to politically backfire and someone's going to protest our corporation or they're going to send us some letters that we don't like. <laughs> have the courage to do the right thing, to show up to speak truth to power and be an advocate because our, de- our kids are depending on us to do that. Please join me in thanking Mackie, Greg, and CJ for a great panel discussion. Thank you. You were terrific. Thank you. Thank you again to Greg. Thank you, CJ. Thank you, Mackie. Uh, all the way from Stanford. Appreciate you being here. And, of course, Andrew Broy. Uh, it's, it's people like Andrew, who make the City Club what it is. Andrew came to us with this idea, more importantly, with the expertise, right, and the experts. And now we're getting people like Dr. Raymond from around the country and and even around the world. Um, So I say that because I invite all of you to keep coming with these ideas and and, um, and help elevate the conversation, of course, with a Chicago focus always, right? Um, but we're here to continue to elevate that conversation and, and do so in, in a civil manner with some great lemon cookies and, and uh, you know, a little bit of marinated chicken. So um, thank you, all four of you, for a great panel. Thanks for all the good, again, that you're doing. And, and to all of you in this room, uh, we welcome you back. If you're not members, please sign up, become a member, and, um, and, and come to some more programs. There's so much more to come. Uh, I'm going to ask our chair, Jackie Robinson-Ivy, to, to join us for a, a photo. And, um, and then I'd also like, with all that, uh, so much more to come. We do, um, Jackie's going to help me present, we have certificates for a one-year membership for each of you. So um, please come back and, and, and share some wisdom. And, and also, uh, and Dr. Mackey, as you, uh, or Mackey, as Dr. Raymond, as you said, we, you've been here before and we welcome you back uh, anytime you're in Chicago. So thank you again. Thanks for being here. Come on back and enjoy the rest of your holiday season.